Hello, Texans, and welcome to NRG Stadium, home of the Texans and the Houston Livestock Show and Rodeo. And that's how I began the show the other night. And that's how I'll begin it tonight because it is rodeo season. Mark Vandermeer with you. Joined tonight with the General John McClain, the Houston Chronicle Hall of Fame writer. General, are you a big rodeo guy? Uh, no. Okay. I've been well, to the rodeo. I grew up going to the heart of Texas Fair and Rodeo in Waco, which is mm-hmm. right down the street. When I was a little kid, I got to go out on the dirt and be interviewed by Roy Rogers, which was the highlight of my life. Wait, you were interviewed by Roy Rogers. Stop the presses. This is the lead of the show. You were interviewed by Roy Rogers. I got to ask him one question. I asked him why he tucked his uh, jeans in his boots. Oh, you interviewed him. Well, he supposed is like Art Linkletter. Okay. How many people know who Roy Rogers and Art Linkletter were? But not many, but a few do, and that's why I think this is a tremendous thing, okay? And Enough the, people do. And These the last time I was at the rodeo here was when the band Perry played, and the reason I was there is their their fiddle player band leader, Jason Fritz, who's now on ESPN, uh, who I'd known for a while, invited me to come out for rehearsals mm-hmm. and watch how they did everything and then got me great seats. But it was fun being out watching the band rehearse on that big rotating, revolving stage in the middle of the arena. And uh, uh, and that was fascinating. I had a blast doing that. And then I was out there because I know Martina McBride's drummer, Greg Harrington, big Cowboys fan who lives in Nashville. So I got to come out with them one time. So I kind of got spoiled. Now, my wife, who's from D.C., when we started, we started dating 34 years ago, got married 33, she was fascinated by the rodeo. And she didn't want it. She wanted to go walk up and down behind the bulls and the horses. And I, thought, I grew up smelling horse, you know what? And she was fascinated by the smell. Finally, she got tired of it. And uh, we come out once a year during the day and walk around the midway when it's not is crowded, and I grew up at the, riding every fast, dangerous ride you could ride, and I'd like to do it now, although I'm too old and fat, but she has motion sickness, so I just watch everybody else with envy. I don't go on any of those motion-type rides. You're a wimp, too, I know. Huh? I'm a wimp. That's it. Okay, the Texans, free agency. We're inside two weeks till it starts, and the uh, legal tampering period will start. And we'll know soon enough where guys are going and what's going to happen. So how aggressive or not aggressive do you expect the Texans to be when the free agency period really begins? The part we don't know, uh, Bill O'Brien has been the GM since June, but he was not the GM during free agency last year. But based on what we saw with Bill doing as far as trades and claims and things he did from, from June on, I would expect him to be aggressive. On the other hand, I think the Texans have like fifty-four, fifty-six million. Last time I checked, mm-hmm. and if they they want to sign Tunsil to an extension, they don't have to. He's under contract for this year. They could franchise him two years. They want to sign Watson to an extension. He's got two years left. They could franchise him two years, and they'd like to sign Zach Cunningham, who will probably be the easiest. But you're not just going to give them whatever they want. You know, Laramie Tunsil is going to be the highest-paid offensive lineman in history, but by how much? You know, mm-hmm. how much does he want his new agent? He fired Jimmy Sexton, one of the best in the business, and he's looking for a new one. And But how much? Does he want $20 million a year to be the first lineman at $20 million a year? Does they try to get $22 million? They're not just going to give him whatever they want. And the same thing for Watson, the same thing for Cunningham, the same thing for D.J. Reader. They're not going to franchise DJ because the franchise for a tackle is $15 million. And you're not going to pay 
a nose tackle who's great against the run but is not a pass rusher, comes off the field, that kind of money because there's a lot of guys like that. And they don't want to lose Raider because DJ is – Bill O'Brien always talks about great teammate. He is as great a teammate as you can be. As you know, he's great against the run. He can play end in the three-man front, play on the nose. But in 2018, Brandon Dunn started 10 games on the nose when Reader had to move outside. Yeah. And uh, so I expect uh, th- that Bill will be active. Don't know. I know they want corners. Mm-hmm. You know, they whether they whether they re-sign Bradley Roby, there's talk they're going after Byron Jones, who's trying to bake the, break the bank for a corner. And here's something that I and Chris Harris Jr., who's going to be 31 years old. If you invest big bucks in a 30-year-old corner, by and large, it's going to backfire on you. And um, Plus, like A.J. Boyer was going to be cut. Right. Denver gives a fourth-round pick for him, and uh, he is not was not have a good year. Chris Harris Jr. was moved outside to the slot. He did not have a good year. Bradley Roby had a pretty good year when he was healthy, and he can play inside or outside. So to me, I'd rather have a guy that knows the system. You know him. Maybe they could get him for 13 instead of 15 or 16 like or 18 like – the other big names are going to get. So that's what we don't know. Will Bill go after several, or will he make a big splash with one? But we know, Mark, they got to have a corner in free agency, and they got to have a corner high in the draft. Byron Jones, you mentioned him, 27 years old. So he, compared to Chris Harris, it's kind of like the Namdi Asamoah, Jonathan Joseph situation, except a little bit different because Jones is the top guy in the market, correct? He is, but I've talked to some Cowboy people, and if he is, if, if he was – he wants to be the highest-paid corner in history, and if indeed he was going to that great, why would they let him go over Amari Cooper? It's harder to find top-flight corners than it is a receiver, mm-hmm. especially in a draft that may be the deepest in history for a wide receiver. So I would keep the corner. He doesn't have any interceptions. They say he has bad hands. He's a great athlete. He's played safety. He's played corner. But from what I understand, he wants to be the highest-paid in history. So – Somebody's going to pay him that money. There's teams out there with a whole lot more money than the Texans have. But look at last year, Le'Veon Bell. Is he worth the money? Nope. Uh, C.J. Mosley got mm-hmm. the big contract from the Jets. Worth the money? Nope. I saw a thing last year, Peter King, about halfway through the season, ran all the free agents who made the most money. Is amazing how many were not worth the money. Yeah. Well, we all know what happens in free agency. The highest bidder usually wins. I mean, it's like 95% of the time it's going to be the highest bidder that wins that free agent. And you're right. It doesn't always turn out to be as great as you want it. So corner, obviously a big uh, target, if you will, at least projected to be. Now, what about the running back position, John? Because we don't talk about this a whole lot. Carlos Hyde, 1,000 yards plus. I did a breakfast for the Boy Scouts this morning. Jamie Roots and he, uh, I interviewed Jamie him. Jamie a Boy Scout? No, but I don't think he, he wears was. outfit. But, <laughs> well, it was a big deal, though, down at Hilton oh, America's. I couldn't believe Jim Crane was there. It was a, it was a big deal. Anyway, so uh, we were talking about free agency, and I, and you know, I, I did say the highest bidder tends to win the player. But, but Jamie asked me, what about fantasy prospects? I said, whoever's playing running back for the Houston Texans will get the ball a lot. I mean, that's it. Whoever is the starting running back, and we don't know if it's going to be Hyde because he's unrestricted right now. What do you think happens there? How does that play out? He'll be unrestricted on March 18th. Okay. Uh, they made him an offer. Gordon Aaron Wilson, it's an offer like Mark Ingram got last year from Baltimore. He better take that. Yeah. If he does, if he gets an offer from like that here, he better be all over it. Otherwise, he's going to be making about a million for some other team and keep mm. bouncing around like a pinball. 
Plus, if he's about to turn 30, if he hasn't already, this is a good situation for Hyde. He and Duke Johnson had a really good thing going. And so I expect they will re-sign him. But if he thinks he's going to get more than that, and Bill O'Brien's got somebody else he likes out there, he's going to get him. But I think Hyde will be back. Darren Fells wants more money than they've offered. What kind of market is it for a tight end, Darren? Darren's uh, age. I don't mm-hmm. think he should come back here too. And I've not thought about the running back because I've just I just believe they'll get the high deal done, but they're not going to overspend on him. You don't overspend on a guy his age with his background. You don't do that, and they already have some money tied up in Duke. And Duke was a real nice contributor, yes, contributor to this team last year. So we'll see how that goes. Fells is interesting as well. You pointed that out. Look, he had that tremendous first half of the season. Surprised a lot of people. I don't know how other teams are going to see this. You know that he fits in here really well because he could do so many different things. What about that position, John? This is something you and I talked about last offseason a great deal. Kahale wearing, coming off that red shirt year. You have Aikens. You have Thomas. You might have Fells back. You might not. How's that going to be? Jordan Thomas was a disappointment in his second year after catching four touchdown passes as a rookie. I thought, man, this guy's going to take off. And he started off hurt on our, came back, didn't do much. Aikens is not a true tight end, but he had a good year. You assume he's going to keep getting better, but the wild card is Waring. Uh, Waring looks incredible. He had a year to learn mentally, and uh, the times we saw him at camp where he really looked good, I remember that one of the practices at Green Bay, he was tearing it up down the field, and you're like, wow, and then he gets hurt. Mm-hmm. And he could have come back, but they didn't need him last year because they had plenty of tight ends. But I would think that's not a position that needs addressing at all. They got two third-round picks, Aikens and Waring. They got Fells. I assume Darren's going to come back here at his age, knowing this system. Don't blame him trying to get much money as he can at his age. But it's a good fit. It's a good scheme fit. You got Watson throwing the ball to you. And uh, so I don't. I'm not thinking really about running back or tight end. I'm thinking about primarily three positions, corner, interior pass rusher, and a wide receiver. A wide receiver because you with one of their fours, you know, they're going to have a two, three, and two fours. They could get a fourth-round receiver for a guy that might go in the second round any other year because of the depth. And I wrote about this two weeks ago about all the productive receivers taken after the first round last year, and there could mm-hmm. be just as many or more this year. So I think with uh, Will Fuller going in the last year of his contract and his injury history and Stills going in the last year of his contract, you better get another one. And because after what happened with Kiki QT this time last year, everybody was fired up about QT, and then he didn't do squat. So that's another need. So I feel like Mark in the second, third, and fourth round, they will come out, not sure the order, with a corner, the interior pass rusher, and uh, a wide receiver. This is me saying this, not necessarily them. I don't know what they really think behind closed doors, but with a player like UT, okay, the rookie year had some really nice flashes. Yep. Obviously, the second season, not so much, but here we go. It, he's a young man. He's a professional. Let's see how he handles this offseason, and if it's here or somewhere else, I'm not ready to write him off as a professional no, football player. you can't write anybody off after two years, especially when they flash as a rookie. He needs to have a good off season, and he needs to make sure he learns the system and he focuses and he doesn't make mental errors because the guy, you know, if Indianapolis, like say they cut him, the Colts would be all over him. Remember how he burned them 
in regular season yep. and in the playoffs, mm-hmm. they probably voted him to the Pro Bowl. So, no, <laughs> he's not going anywhere because he's got too much talent. He's a good guy. Yep. Everybody likes him, and he's in the mix inside. That's another thing. Um, all our guys can play inside or outside, but I, I think Bill will do something to address receiver because of Fuller and Stills instead of waiting till next year when their backs are against the wall. Defense, John, you mentioned interior pass rush because when you look at the guys under contract, Scarlett, Merciless, Watt, Amenahu, they've got some pass Martin. rush there. Jacob Martin. You know, everyone talks about well, they, four. Need a, they need an edge. edge of four. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there you go. Edge of four comes back in after being hurt last year. We'll see how that goes. Everyone talks about, do they need a pass rusher? Well, look, I don't know where they're going to put him. I don't know how he's going to get reps, but it wouldn't surprise me if they drafted somebody who's capable of rushing the passer from the edge. Or sign somebody. And I'm not so much from the edge because, you know, a lot of times Romeo would have one lineman on the field. Watt, sometimes two in passing situations. We don't know how Anthony Weaver's going to do it, and we won't know until they play the first regular season game. And this is a, after what we learned at the Combine, this is a good draft for interior linemen if you want to get one after the first round. Now, I'm not talking about a guy that's going to play every down. I'm talking about a guy that has pass rush capability and a guy that can play in a four-man front when you go to passing situations. And that could be the pick in the second round. It could be the higher-rated player interior pass rusher corner because, you know, if you don't have guys that can consistently put pressure on the quarterback, Deion Sanders can't cover them. Mm-hmm. And they've got to improve that. They had a tremendous drop-off. Part of it was because Watt had missed time. Whitney had his best season in a long time. And I I got to think, and I was talking to Seattle people again about how much they liked Jacob Martin and they hated to part with him. And you got to think his second year in this system, third year in the NFL – that he's going to be a better pass rusher. He's not a full-down player because he's too light in the butt, but he's the fastest they've got out there. And they liked Edge for coming off his rookie year, and then he blew out his Achilles, and he's healthy. He's been healthy, and he knows all the mental stuff. He went to all the practices. He went to all the meetings, so he's only behind physically, not mentally. So there's another one. Ominihu, Martin, and Ojefor. Those guys should make it significant improvement next season. John McClain stays with us, the general from the Houston Chronicle and more on the Texans, the AFC South temperature, the quarterback situation around the league. This is the story of the offseason, really. It's all coming up and then some on Texans Radio. John McClain is with us Thursday night. Texans all access here from the Hyundai Texans Radio studio. Mark Vandermeer with you. Now, let's do this. John, we talked about it a bit last week, but being at the Combine and everybody talking about Deshaun Watson, when they know you're with the Texans, they want to talk about Deshaun Watson. And when you look around the AFC South, I wrote about this on HoustonTexans.com yesterday. It's the only team that really has full transparency as to who the starter is going to be on opening day. Every other team has a question mark at this time of year at that position going into 2020. Great minds think alike. I wrote about that last week because it is. I swear I didn't steal it from you. It's all right. And uh, I know you didn't. And uh, thank you. And it's because it's important. Mm -hmm. You know, if you think about Tennessee, there's all the talk about Brady while they're trying to re-sign Tannehill. I can't imagine Ryan Tannehill is going to price himself out of the Titans market. And then, uh, Jacksonville, they're talking about trading Foles. Well, how much of his contract are they going to have to pick up to trade him? Because Doug Marone wants to go with a mustache. And 
And uh, and in Indy, Jacoby Brissett had his chance. He didn't do it. Injuries played a factor. But it just seems such a natural that Phillip Rivers would go there to be reunited with Frank Reich, his quarterback coach at uh, San Diego for three years, and Nick Sariani, the offensive coordinator for Reich, who was in San Diego for five years. Mm-hmm. It just seems a natural thing for Rivers to go there. And if I'm Brady, I'd want to go there because of the offensive line. And so all of them have issues. Will will the the uh, will the coach take a quarterback? You yeah. know, they they pick high enough where they could trade up and get a quarterback or get a guy like Jordan Love. Would they have Brissette, Rivers, and a young guy? Mm-hmm. You know, if you if you sign Tom Brady and Phillip Rivers, you better have somebody ready in a couple of years. Yep. Especially yeah. with Brady. And uh, I hear I keep I was listening today on NFL radio talking about how Brady wants a long term contract. I said, well, what's a long term contract? Two years for him? The guy's gonna be forty three in August and and uh watching all these people scrambling, predicting, trying to guess who's whom and thinking, man, I'm glad the Texans don't have to worry about that anymore. Right. Well, if you're a Patriots fan, how do you feel right now about the situation? Well, Patriot fans, and I talk to people there, if Brady leaves, they'll believe it's because he's tired of playing with Belichick right. and he's tired of having an offense that doesn't have a lot of talent, and they mm-hmm. didn't. And it's so people won't blame him. You know, in their minds, he'll always be a Patriot. So many great players left their team at the end of their career and went somewhere else for more money. The problem is Belichick has yet to commit to him beyond one year. Maybe he will. But until that domino falls, the others can't fall as well. So he is in control basically of everything in the quarterback market unless you're a team picking high like Cincinnati or Miami knows they're not going to sign him. To me, there's only everybody's trying to push Brady to San Francisco, and San Francisco's going to trade Garoppolo back to Belichick, and maybe that'll happen. But it's so unfair, Garoppolo. He missed 2018 with a torn ACL. He comes back this season, leads him to the Super Bowl. Now people are ready to give up on him. People in Tennessee are dying to get Brady over Tannehill. Last I looked, Tannehill beat Brady in the playoffs in Foxborough. Yep. And um, so I, I, and to me, the Raiders are still a natural for him. He's got a line. He's got a good running game, good tight end. They could use that top pick on somebody like either Judy or Lamb or Ruggs to give him a great receiver. And uh, it just seems a natural and puts him closer to his family in San Mateo and and uh, but it's fascinating. It's unprecedented what we've seen in the quarterback market because more are going to be available. Possibly Cam Newton, possibly Derek Carr, a guy like Teddy Bridgewater went five and zero last year. In an ordinary year, he would be one they're talking about. Nobody's talking about him. I can't believe I'm with you on Garoppolo. I cannot believe the negativity around him. And I'm not a Jimmy G guy necessarily, but here you go. You go to the Super Bowl, and I know you don't execute down the stretch, but Hey, it happens to a lot of quarterbacks. Yeah. A lot of good quarterbacks have lost Super Bowls. A lot of Hall of Famers have lost Super Bowls. Uh, saddle up. Give it another shot if you're the 49ers. People are saying, well, at the end of that game, Brady would have made those throws. I said, Brady couldn't make throws to beat the Titans at home. Yeah, I know. At this stage of his life, yes, I think people get used to looking at the package, okay, the bottle, the the – the gift wrapping around that quarterback. And they think of him 10, 15 years ago. He is a 43-year-old quarterback when the season begins. And there's no way you could expect this to go on forever. And I'm of the thinking that 
at any moment it could go. You could make a deal for Brady, and it could start off well, then all of a sudden it starts to drop. Also, if you have Brady, the whole offense has to revolve around him. It's like he could never go to Tampa and play for Bruce Arians, who sends out all his receivers, and the quarterback takes a beating. He mm. couldn't go to the Chargers. Their offensive line's awful. And there's only a few teams, to me, that he could go to. And he has a system in New England with Josh McDaniels that he basically invented mm. for him. And it has to be all about timing and short to intermediate routes and recognition by him, not throwing the ball down the field. And and if you're willing to make your offense that, maybe Kyle Shanahan is, but in two years, what do you do when he's done? And then, boy, I need another quarterback. Bridgewater, what do you think? I don't have a clue. I think Jameis Winston's going to be out there unless they franchise him one year to see if he can – Get over the interceptions. I think Bridgewater, Winston, if he's available, Mariota, Newton, Dalton, all those guys, there's not a lot of jobs that are open where they can come and be guaranteed to getting the job. Mm -hmm. Like in Carolina, if Carolina lets him go and they are right out, outside and they don't take a quarterback early, they need somebody like Teddy Bridgewater to commit to. Right. It's and a lot of them are gonna have to do like Tannehill did last year. He gets traded to Tennessee, one-year contract. You hope you get a chance and you do well. That's what a lot of these guys are gonna have to do. And of course, the Patriots gotta have somebody. I don't know if they're gonna go with Jared Stedham, who threw four passes as a rookie. It seems to me they're gonna want somebody to come in there with a style style similar to Brady, and people are talking about Andy Dalton. Yeah, I was gonna ask you about that. Those whispers or whatever they are about Andy Dalton going to New England. Yeah, they they uh, would trade him. And, uh, you know, a guy like Marcus Mariota, if he played for Josh McDaniels, would he be better? But he has injury issues, and he was awful last year. If I, I could see Teddy Bridgewater going up there yeah, and them committing to him for a season or two, but they still need another quarterback. It really hurt Mariota that Tannehill played well, right? If oh Tannehill doesn't play well, maybe it's just the Titans and maybe Mariota would be better somewhere else. But the fact that with the same cast of characters, Tannehill did that makes Mariota look that much worse. And that's why he's going to be gone. Okay, what about Chicago? What are you thinking there? Because, Pete, look, it's year three, year four now, and you don't have to stay with it forever with Trubisky. So what do you think they want to do? Trubisky, it looks like, is going to be in a situation like Mariota was last year. Remember, Mariota won a playoff game at Kansas City and mm -hmm. and then came back and didn't take off from there and, and have his career skyrocket. So Trubisky, they think, and Dalton's a possibility. They would bring in a veteran quarterback there like they did with Tannehill last year, and it'd be up to Trubisky to stay healthy and play well and keep the job. All right, John, I want to talk to you a little bit about I got something else. Okay, Who's else? the Texans' backup quarterback going to be? Well, that's a great question. You know, would you take Mariota here? Would they like that? Or would you, do you trust your team uh, to X, player X, if Watson, and God forbid, knock wood, knock whatever you can, goes down, who do you trust to take your team on a run to keep it going? And I, I think that's a really complex question, really. I, clearly, they like McCarron, and he looked pretty good in that last game at times. Uh, very limited action, obviously, in the offseason. No preseason to speak of after the injury in Green Bay in practice. Uh, maybe he comes back. Maybe it's somebody else, one of these other attractive names out there. Problem is, if they come here, seeing that Watson plays every game, yeah. they're not coming here with a chance to start. 
So you can't have a guy who's hoping for a chance to start coming to the Texans. And if I'm McCarron, I'm begging Bill O'Brien to re-sign me. The guy I'd love to see back here is Case Keenum. You know, Mm -hmm. we're not even talking about Case, but Case, everywhere he goes, he gets to play. Opening day starter. And if he came here, he's not going to get a chance to play unless, of course, Watson gets hurt. So Mariota, would he come here? To me, coming to the Texans is a guy who knows he's a career backup and he's not going to be a starter again, like McCarron. Mm-hmm. A guy that I would love to see them sign, P.J. Walker, give him a chance, the roughnecks quarterback who's going to have multiple offers. I'm not talking about as a true backup, but sign him, bring him here. I think he'll end up in Carolina with Matt Rule because he coached him three years at Temple. I saw him make a play last week that looked a little Watson-like. I mean, he does have some moxie. He's got some playmaking ability. He's I got a column on him today in the Chronicle about, uh, well, it's more about their defense playing so well, but uh, Walker and his receiver, Cam Phillips, have looked really good. And June Jones, who's been a head coach twice in the NFL, believes that 10 to 15 of his players will get opportunities to play in the NFL with, with Walker being the one that is the most fascinating. And he's going somewhere, and I think he and – He's he's like a poor man's Watson. He just has a similar style. He's mobile. He makes plays on the fly, and he gets rid of the ball so quick. Mm-hmm. I, June said I'd like to take credit for that, and we do emphasize getting the ball out, but he just gets rid of it quick. He's only been sacked four times in four games, but I think it would be great to have P.J. Walker come over here and back up to Sean Watson. Now, you were saying about A.J. McCarron that – if you were him, you'd be begging Bill O'Brien it's a for a bad year to be a free agent quarterback. Well, oh, I see. That's why. Just a one-year deal and let the dust settle and take and he, it from there. With all the quarterbacks available, there's not going to be a market for A.J. So mm. he should come back here where he knows everybody. I'm guessing he liked it here, the coaches. And and uh, Tim Kelly's now the new quarterback coach. T.J. Yates is going to be the assistant quarterback coach. So it just seems like a really good deal for him because he's not going to get an opportunity to start somewhere else. Right. And I don't know if anybody would bring him in as a potential starter. Maybe somebody not this year. Yeah. And, you know, even in another year at this point in his career, because the injury history and everything. But one of those situations where should the starter falter, then maybe he gets an opportunity. It's like Clint Eastwood said in one in one of the dirty, hairy moves, man's got to know his limitations. Oh, man, he's got so many good lines. Think about this with Clint. You know, go ahead, make my day. Right. He had one later in his career with the get off my lawn, which is just such a part of pop culture, yep. right? Get off Do you punk with Dirty Harry? Now, that's so dated now. A lot of the younger listeners don't know that. But, man, he's got so many great lines in his movies. I mean, Go Ahead and Make My Day, I think, is uh, probably the most famous one. And that was from maybe the third Dirty Harry movie, I think. I can't remember which the one. The Enforcer. It was. The first one was the best by far. Of course. It was. It's. I very would encourage anybody listening if you hadn't seen Clint Eastwood and Dirty Harry from 1971, running around in bell bottoms in San Francisco, uh, uh, blowing people away with his Harvey Keitel 357 Magnum. Is he in it, Harvey Keitel? No. Why do I that's, imagine him? That the the bad guy's not Harvey Keitel. He just looked like Harvey. Okay, sorry. Uh, but back then, you had all these movies like that. Charles Bronson, who no one remembers. Was a huge Death Wish. action star. Death Wish, Death Wish, um, Mr. McIntosh. Things they could get away with. The Stone then that they could not get away with today. I know. No, it's it's crazy. I mean, that, that, those movies were rough. A uh, couple of other things here. XFL rules that may or may not get adopted. We've talked about this briefly, but Johnny and I were debating one earlier. 
I'll tell you what I'd like to see. Maybe I want to talk to Bill O'Brien about this. The 25-second play clock is intriguing to me. It hasn't been a big issue. Like June Jones played it in Canada the last two years, so it wasn't a big deal for him. But you don't see delays of game. You just get mm-hmm. up to the line of scrimmage and go. And um, what I like about the XFL the best, and I'm going to my first game on Saturday to see the Roughnecks. Carol and I are going, and I watched them on TV the last time. And it's going to be hard to like them more in person because unless they gave you an earpiece where you could hear the replay official talking yeah. to the to the on-field of the referee about mm-hmm. about replay, and then if you can't hear the coaches calling plays when you're in the stands. But I think it's going to be a lot of fun. But the one they would not adopt, and I like it a lot, is the extra point. P.J. Walker oh, ran in a 10-yard three-point conversion mm-hmm. against Dallas. And a lot of them, they do not make the conversion from the two-yard line. And uh, but it's fascinating, but it makes a coach think even more, and they got enough on their plate uh, when it's not the extra point. <laughs> and uh, the kickoff and the return rule has not have not led to the big kickoff and punt returns like they thought they would. Right, and especially a punt, you're supposed to catch the ball and have about a ten yard head start, but the they're not burning up the league with the returns, but. Uh, the, I do like the way they line up for kickoffs that lessens the collisions. And uh, the 25-second rule is fantastic because the games are over quicker. Yeah, it, they are. But it also changes your thinking at the end of the game when you really can't take a knee as as you can in the NFL. Two minutes to go in the NFL with a first down, the game's over. In the XFL, it's not over yet. You still have more work to do. So I find that kind of interesting. Remember, the owners don't care what the coaches want. The owners are going to do what the owners want. Last right. year, the coaches wanted the eye in the sky, which I still like, official in the mm-hmm. booth, watching the, re- the replays and signaling down immediately. The referee, throw the flag, pick the flag up. But uh, I don't think that's going to pass. But um, you get used to these rules. At first, I'm like, what? Oliver Luck, the commissioner, told me some they didn't adopt, and they were wild. And they might change that in their second year. But uh, it was – it's a lot of fun watching them play because some of it's different. It's kind of like watching the CFL for the first time. And you, you know, the the two the two passes in the XFL that you can have two forward passes as long as one's behind the line of scrimmage. Yep. It's kind of like you just barely missed on it. It's a lateral yep. or an illegal forward mm-hmm. pass barely in the NFL, yep. and they don't think twice about it. Right. Uh, that one is not that crazy. I still don't like the CFL. Uh, I don't like the CFL, yes, where they're all running around yeah. at the same time, all yeah. going the line of scrimmage. Yeah, terrible. It's almost like some video game. Yeah, it's hard to follow. For, for an American football fan, that was always my big bugaboo about that and the Arena Football League. John, one more for you in this segment. What about pass interference? What's going to happen at the owners' meetings next month or this month, later this month? Are March they going to take away the challenge? I believe they we will see them. It was on a one-year experimental basis. Nobody liked it. They've either – and there's talk about bringing back Dean Blandino, paying him whatever he wants to come back and make him the head of the officiating over his former assistant, Albert Al Riveroth, and uh, let Blandino – because people just seem to have more trust in Blandino, but I'm not so sure he could have done a better job last year. So they're going to have to call it. Like the interference with Hopkins in Baltimore, mm-hmm. 
mm-hmm. how they could have a good conscience and not call that interference was beyond me. It's not going to so, fix it to not so have it at all, though. You either call it or you don't. A lot of people think they panic because of the NFC Championship game, Rams against the Saints, and uh, you didn't see many of those. But I think it's not going to pass. And if it was mm-hmm. passing, it would be a one-year experimental basis again. All right, General, can you stay with us and talk Hall of, of Fame course. for a moment? Not Pro Football Hall of Fame necessarily, Texas Sports Hall of Fame, Ooh, among other I'd things coming talk up about that. on Texans Radio. Staying with it here in the Hyundai Texans Radio Studio, it's Texans All Access. John McClain is with us, Mark Vandermeer, hosting tonight, and I'll be hosting tomorrow as well as we take you into the weekend. Spring break for my kids next week. It's a little early. It's Fort Bend County versus the rest of the world. I'm going to Florida to the Astros spring training, and I just came back from five days in Florida two weeks ago in March. is the busiest week of the year in Florida because you have baseball fans, you Mm -hmm. have snowbirds, you have spring breakers, and then you have everybody anyway. Trying to get around Disney World in March is unbelievable. And this weekend they have the Arnold Palmer Invitational at Bay Hill in Orlando, so it's a busy Busy month, and I can't wait to get to uh, West Palm Beach to watch the Astros for a couple games. Last year, we went to Disney World in March. We actually did it, wow. and it was it was nuts. But my whole thing is with any park, you know, Houston Zoo included, Kima, anything. Get there as soon as it opens. Obviously, you knock it out early, and then or really late sometimes works as well, depending on the place. All right, so General Texas Sports Hall of Fame. Now, uh, a couple of things I want to get to the class this year but tickets are on sale for the inductions and what is going on with you you are going in but how are you going in they put in a media class a few years ago was it a decade ago and i emceed that and now you're going in and congratulations once again i know this was announced last june but recently the ticket information came out as how to people how people could uh, participate well there's the regular texas sports hall of fame class of which shane leckler and rg3 are part of that that is in waco uh, at the convention center, that's where the Hall of Fame is. And then the media class that you was the first one in history. It was 14 years ago. We mm-hmm. had it at the JW Marriott in conjunction with the Touchdown Club of Houston. And we said we would never do another one, but if we ever did, it would be in Dallas. So this year uh, they worked out it's going to be at uh, AT&T Stadium. Jerry Jones is going to host it. There's seven of us. I'm the only one not from the Metroplex. And it's an incredible honor. And uh, when they told me, I told my wife, Carol, I said, this is the greatest honor I've ever had. She said, it's not bigger than the Pro Football Hall of Fame. I said, yes, it is. She said, why? I said, you're not from Texas. You wouldn't understand. So we're going to be up there at uh, AT&T Stadium. And uh, I got a lot of friends coming from Waco and Houston. And I have friends that live up in that area. And it's going to be unbelievable making that speech with uh, I, the second group, of they call it icons of Texas journalism, like Randy Galloway, longtime columnist, talk show host, Frank Gleiber, first play-by-play guy for the Cowboys. Brad Sham, been covering the Cowboys, their play-by-play for over 35 years. The late Bill Mercer did the, the Rangers and Cowboys. And, and uh, Shereen Williams from the Fort Worth Star-Telegram now with Pro Football Talk. And Denny Freeman, who was AP Sports Editor, Covered the Cowboys and wrote books about the Cowboys. We'll be the ones inducted uh, on May 30th. I'm so glad you're there because this is so heavily Cowboys. Now, why is it so heavily Cowboys? I was not at the meeting in June when the committee voted on people. Yeah. And 
when they called me and they told me I was in and they told the list, and I told David Barron from the Chronicle and Melanie Hauser, who works for the Sports Authority, he was a longtime sports writer for the Post. I said, my goodness, you guys didn't do a very good campaign. They said, well, at least you got in. I yeah. said, you're right. No way I could complain about it. But uh, so the Hall of Fame, there's so many good media people covered sports in our state for century and right. that, are, that are not in. And the Hall of Fame said they don't want to wait another 14 years. They'll probably wait another five years to do another one. I'm going to try to get that one back in Houston because, as you know, ours came off very smooth. It was great. And maybe I want Gene Elston, the late Jack Gallagher, sports editor of the Post. Gene Peterson. Gene Peterson. There's so many. Maybe Foley with them. I don't Milo know. Milo Hamilton. To me, if you're if you're in the Baseball Hall of Fame like Gene Elston and uh, Milo Hamilton, you ought to be in the Texas Sports Hall of Fame. Well, it's funny because you have multiple cowboy announcers going into this Texas Sports Hall of Fame media. Class well, they've been—they've done it for decades. Right, That's the right. thing. Uh, and Sham Brad is just terrific. He's a great guy, and you know I love him. He's great. Now, obviously, don't love the Cowboys, but I really like Brad. But it's—it would be interesting to have Elston and Milo go in Astros <laughs> voices because uh, you know they get along. They got along so well. Yeah, they—they'd have to—they'd have to put a wall up between them in heaven. <laughs> well. Uh, Milo's a legend, you know, and well, so is Gene Elston. It's funny because he's uh, before your time, but all of us, his first 25 years of the Astros, I used to listen to their games. I listen to exhibition games, pregame, yeah. postgame. I listen to regular season, pregame, right. postgame. I wouldn't go out with any girls in high school unless they'd be willing to listen to the Astros every night in the summer. It cost me a lot of girlfriends. John, really? You yep. have that stipulation? Well, yep. it's summertime. You got the radio on. They have to be able to live with it, right? Instead of most instead, did not. So you say instead of listening to Casey and the Sunshine Band, we are going to listen to the Astros right Every now. Every night was set aside mm-hmm. for listening to the Astros. Gene Elston and Lowell Pass and mm-hmm. Harry Callis was in there for a while. Bob Prince, it was amazing the cast that came through. But to me, when I talked to Gene Elston for the first time after I got to Houston, my lips wouldn't my lips moved and no sound came out. So wait a minute, you said. Who's the original voice of the Dallas Cowboys? Pardon me. Well, originally, originally Vern. Uh, no, but Vern was too young. Was okay. uh, Frank Gleiber? Okay, he did TV and radio. So he's going in. Vern, Vern was a sportscaster on uh, Channel Eight ABC up there. Didn't he do play-by-play for the Cowboys? Eventually, yeah, and then eventually he went to the network. Okay, and did Brad? I, I know there's some. Brad was a sideline reporter for the Cowboys, hired by Gleiber. Okay. Before he became their play-by-play. All right. So Brad was at the catch game. Brad was there. I was I at remember. the catch game. You were at the game. Sure. That's so cool. Yeah, it was great. There's a lot of great plays in NFL history. I was I was covering them, and I was behind the end zone for the catch with Ed Fowler, our columnist, and it was cold, and we're all covered up with long coats and everything, and all of a sudden Montana's rolling to his right. And he throws the ball away, and I said to Ed Fowler, where the hell is boom? Here comes Dwight Clark out of nowhere. We thought he was throwing it away. Mm-hmm. A lot of people think that he was throwing it away, but no, Montana would never admit that. He was throwing to Clark all along. So is that the greatest play you've ever seen in person, the magnitude of it? Uh, yes, because it signaled the changing of the guard, the 49ers mm-hmm. over the Cowboys. And uh, it was a spectacular play moment. And I've showed, I've stop actioned everything in the end zone. I know where I am because I had long hair and I had a lot of hair and I had a long coat 
And I might have been wearing a hat. You can't see me no matter how many times I look at it because I want to show my wife. There I am. And uh, but you can't tell. Oh, and Sham worked that game on the radio as a sideline reporter. Yeah, I can't remember if he's on a sideline or what. I'm guessing if he's been doing this 37 years, was that that was before 37 years? So yeah. Longtime listeners will know that I have a favorite statistic of that game. Just to point out, what is it? That greatness is not about the numbers. Joe Montana threw two interceptions in that game, but he ends up throwing to. Dwight Clark in the back of the end zone for one of the greatest, one of the easily top three greatest plays in the history of this league in a game in which he threw two interceptions. It None of it matters. Nobody remembers. I no, didn't remember, and I covered it. Nobody, see? Nobody remembers. They do remember Danny White fumbling on the ensuing Cowboy drive, a, a winning, pot- potentially winning drive for the Cowboys. They had enough time to move it down the field, and they were moving the ball, but he fumbled. Game over. Niners dynasty begins. Were you? Do you believe in this offseason, 100-year anniversary, they say the greatest play was the immaculate reception, and then uh, they did that for the 100-year celebration, and AP did one, and that also was the greatest play in history. You know, it's the one you see more often than any other play in the history of the league. And, and it's got the sexy name that didn't even get named yeah. for a long time. Right. It didn't even get named. You're right. It, it, that name came in later. The catch, they didn't call the catch the catch right away either, by the way. And I remember that game on television. But it, it's a great question. I think that both plays are outstanding. Uh, it, what I find interesting about both plays is that, highly notable, neither one is a championship game. And it just goes to show you, any given Sunday, I, they're both postseason games, so they're huge. But any given Sunday, uh, I was watching the Patriots-Oakland um, documentary the other day, and they talk about that game as if it was bigger than a Super Bowl. It was a divisional playoff game. It, it, even the Raiders and, and what it meant the to tuck, their franchise. The Tuck game. The Tuck game. Yes, exactly. So, and then there's the Rosencopter. Yeah, we don't have to get into that. John, what do you have going on in the Chronicle? I've got uh, today a column on the Roughneck. Sunday I'm writing about, after the combine, corners and interior pass rushers who might be there in the second round if Bill Bryan wants to fill one of those needs based on what he did in free agency. Thanks a lot for joining us. Thank you very much, Mark. Enjoy spring break. I will do that tomorrow. We'll be back at 6. I'll be on the morning show on Sports Radio 610 at 8 o'clock, 8 to 9 a.m. tomorrow. Have a great evening, everyone, and go Texans.